0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard the TV Pilot's License flight number 23 with service to San Francisco. We ask that you please fasten your headphones at this time, secure your podcasting device, and remember, if you can't remember whether or not you turned off the stove, or where you put your keys, everything is probably alright, and there's no reason to second guest yourself. Or, is there? Welcome to the TV <laughs> Pilot's License. My name is Jeff oh, Kurvis, wow. joined by Rich Inman and Max Singer. How are you boys doing today?
1: What a, what a good line. I like that it's very much like, uh, it's like that Nirvana lyric, uh, just because you ain't paranoid doesn't mean they ain't after you.
2: I like that
3: a lot. <laughs> that, was, that was very good.
1: Well,
2: and to quote another uh, musical legend, Rich, uh, it's a jungle out there. <laughs>
0: oh my god. Well... Thank you guys so much for joining because today, guess what, we're talking about one of the greatest detectives of all time, Adrian Monk, in the USA Network's series, hit series, Monk. Well boys, this week we have a special pilot, or should I say case, that needs solving, and although I would say the three of us are very astute, I wouldn't consider us experts, so I think we might need to hire a private consultant to help with the investigation of this pilot. Our guest this week is the host of the Webby-nominated Top 20 True Crime Podcast, Where the Bodies Are Buried, a content creator, writer, actress, and co-founder of the content studio Don't Call Me Mommy. Please ring your call buttons and welcome Samantha Gutstad. Samantha, yeah. thank you so much for joining us.
3: What an intro. Sam? I am not mad about that.
0: <laughs> I,
2: I've never heard him talk about me that way, and I've known him for like 15 years. Yeah,
1: well, uh,
3: get a webby you, a a nom and are good.
0: <laughs> yeah, once you get that webby nom, Max, I'm going to talk about you so much nicer. Uh...
3: <laughs> Max, do you know how to get a webby nom?
0: Uh, you should tell me, Sam.
3: Solve <laughs> a murder. Oh, <laughs> there we go. well, that that's it. Up,
0: yeah, that brings up a really good point, Sam. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about the your podcast? And like, y- you literally solved a murder. That's pretty insane.
3: We did. So, you know, I did a 180 in 2020. I'm a comedian. I mostly do comedy and comedy content. Um, I paired up with two guys who had a true crime podcast that they were producing. I consume a lot of true crime i watch it i listen to it so they thought i'd be a good producer and host and we essentially had a serial killer profiler named phil chalmers who writes to over 300 serial killers on the regular they consider him their friend um but what he can do is get information from them that no one could otherwise get no da no cops And during these interviews, we'd interview and spend time. We had like Son of Sam and some notorious serial killers on our podcast, and it's not, we're not talking about them, we're talking with them. So you get in their brain, which is actually really wild. It's like the real mind hunter. And in episode two, we were listening to tapes and talking to one of these guys who was on death row. And he was, a lot of these guys will brag about crimes. Most of the time, it's not real. this guy, we'll say he was in prison for four murders, but we have to assume that that's double, but we only found out about some of them. And he started telling us about this one case and everything lined up. We led the police to bones. It was like he was out of prison at that time and we solved a 20-year-old case. And then not only did we do that, but we then got this the victim's sister on the phone with the serial killer and let her confront him and talk it out with him. Whoa. So it was a wild episode, and that kind of put us on the map.
0: And all we do is talk about TV shows, so I feel very underaccomplished. We haven't <laughs>
2: even talked about Bones.
0: <laughs>
3: yeah. <no. laughs> bones is next.
0: <laughs> well, you know, for those who are listening to our podcast for the first time, to or maybe just here to listen to Sam, uh, Max, do you mind giving a little bit of a preview of what our podcast is all about?
2: So here at TV Pilot's license, we break down and analyze the pilot episodes of some of television's most famous or in some cases infamous pilots made. We figure out how these shows are greenlit and came to be if they're effective in making us want to watch more. And if we think we could make, if they could be made today, we've got a whole bank of episodes wherever you get podcasts from. so go back and listen to shows you may already love. find something you may have never seen. And if it's your first time flying with us, then welcome aboard.
0: And Rich, I think you have a very special question of the week, given our guest. Um, So I'm going to let you ask Rich's question of the week.
1: You bet. Uh, Sam, you've already solved a murder, so uh, we are going to give you something that is uh, maybe just as hard. I want to hear from your expertise, where does Monk rank in an actual detective standpoint? How How do you think he would fare in the real world?
3: I actually think Monk would make an amazing detective. And here's why. He has OCD. I think detectives Mm. have to be extremely in tune to everything that's going on around them. I love that his character walked in the room and was able, you have to be able to, to be a top detective, you have to be able to see things that no one else can see. We all love that in shows like House, how he was like a little bit of a savant
0: Mm. Um, a little
3: socially awkward. it's these characters that are like not the norm. And what I love about him is they wrote this character to be obviously really like he was you know, taking time off the force so that he could take a medical leave because of his OCD and he was in medical care <laughs> and he's able to spot things that nobody else will. He's gonna notice the sh- the chair that's too short the the photo that shows that she wouldn't be a smoker so if the room smells like somebody's oh. smoking then mm-hmm. it's got to be the murderer like all these things that cops would not even notice that's what I love about him and I think it's again these characters that make the most amazing experts so I actually think he'd be like a top detective and a sought after one.
0: Oh, I love that what a great answer um,
3: difficult to work with I mean let's just <laughs> <what it> is. <laughs> 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 difficult, difficult to work with
1: Time-consuming.
0: Before we talk about the pilot, let's talk a little bit about the synopsis. After the unsolved murder of his wife, Adrian Monk develops obsessive-compulsive disorder, which includes his terror of germs and contamination. His condition costs him his job as a prominent homicide detective in San Francisco's police department, but he continues to solve crimes with the help of his assistant and his former boss. Whew, that was a lengthy one. Mm-hmm. Uh, but max let's talk a little bit more about how this
2: show got made totally so monk is the child of a writer named andy breckman Uh, he created and wrote this pilot and Breckman's an interesting figure. He actually started off in the late 70s as a satirical folk singer. Uh, he, was, he was part of that comedy he wanted to be music world. Wait,
0: that was a choice for my career on career day? Why didn't I have any satirical folk singers no, in my I classroom? A I'm yeah, going. I don't know,
2: dude, buy a notebook and a mandolin. There's still plenty of time. Uh, but. Breckman ends up coming up as a writer in the late night world and he's hired at Letterman where he works from 1982 to 1984 during Letterman's early days and he spends over a decade as a contributing writer for Saturday Night Live beginning in 1983. Uh, Breckman's time at SNL is probably best known for him uh, writing and directing the Eddie Murphy sketch White Like Me uh, oh, where... What an icon. Yeah. Yeah. So, Breckman's behind that, and funny enough, uh, the first episode that Breckman wrote for was the season premiere of the 1983 SNL season, season 9, and the host and musical guest combo, I know this has nothing to do with the show we're talking about today, but... (laughs) Oh, I'm so excited. (laughs) The host is NBC President Brandon Tartikoff. What? Which, like... You
1: guys, you guys, just let me host, just let me do it. I swear to God, I swear to God, I'm bringing the house down. This no, is live, right? No,
2: Tarts, Tarts, we talked about this. We, we legally cannot say the impression that you did on air in 1983.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. I saw white like me. <laughs> uh, so
2: along with, uh, you know, contributing to SNL over the years, Breckman writes a lot of pretty forgettable comedy movies in the 90s. Uh, he also writes some things like Sergeant Bilko starring Steve Martin, as well as uh, Rat Race. Uh, oh,
0: so, I'm a, you know What up, yeah. Rat Race fam? Let's go. You, Shout out. you take
2: the good, you take the bad. Uh, so Breckman doesn't actually conceive the show Monk. Uh, it originally comes from an idea of an ABC executive who, this is his one-liner, he wants to do a show about what if Inspector Jacques Clouseau from the Pig Panther had OCD. Um, oh, some real highbrow executive, this, like, this is how you get the C-suite baby shit. <laughs> and it gets worse because they conceive this specific one-line idea for Michael Richards.
0: That's wild. <laughs>
2: uh michael richards in 2000 Kramer? had his uh post seinfeld flop the michael richards show in which he played like a old-timey dramatic pi and the show flopped after eight episodes so abc's like you know no one liked this show no one believed michael richards as a detective what if we did it again <laughs> um and richards actually just passes on it he's like i i'm not touching this i don't want to get involved. So, they bring in Breckman to help conceive and flesh out this idea. And Breckman actually takes a lot of inspiration from what we call case of the week type shows, these sort of character driven noir mysteries. Columbo is a really good example. Um, this topic's actually really back in pop culture right now because of the premiere of Poker Face with Natasha Leone, Ryan Johnson's new series at Peacock. Uh, He also is super inspired by the works of Arthur Conan Doyle, who wrote all of the Sherlock Holmes novels. And basically these mysteries where you as an audience or a reader can follow along with the steps. They lay it all out for you as you go through it. And in a very old school comedy, old school TV show kind of way... Uh, Breckman originally conceives this as a made-for-TV movie pilot, that kind of old-school style of the 1970s where if you make a movie, then you can make a TV show, a thing that I will never understand in 2023. (laughs) Uh, And then it hits, for lack of a better word, development hell. Uh, They can't get this thing off the ground at ABC, and ABC and Touchstone actually move it over to USA, which... USA Now is known for having this really good run of shows in the aughts and early 10s. Uh, but back then, it was just like macho beach cop dramas and reruns of America's Funniest Home Videos. Like, putting your show on USA was not a vote of confidence for it. And over at USA, it's now hit an even worse level development hell because no one really wants to do this quirky comedy for USA it takes them over two years of casting sessions before they finally get any people involved in this. And Tony Shaloub ends up being Adrian Monk. He gets brought in at the recommendation of the VP of USA Networks who comes out as a producer of this. And Shalhoub wasn't really interested at this point. He had been out of TV for a few years. He had a long run with like seven seasons of Wings. He had moved on to like a full-fledged film career and he wasn't really interested in going back to TV. However, Shalhoub's manager tells him that the director of the pilot is Dean Pariso, who had just worked with Shalhoub on the comedy Galaxy Quest. And that is actually able to get Shalhoub to come on board to this. Um, and the rest is history. We've got an amazing cast today. Uh, if you've listened to the podcast before, you'll recognize Biddy Schramm mostly from her work at Kitchen Confidential. I don't know what else you could have possibly uh. seen her in. But... Uh, Ted Levine, all sorts of great people are involved in this. And uh that brings us to our two-part pilot premiere. These aired on the same night. Mr. Monk and the Candidate, parts one and two, which originally aired
0: on July twelfth, two thousand two. Well, let's let's just dive into this pilot as a whole, right? Um now, if you are listening or watching us and you want to listen or watch or watch the pilot beforehand, uh, we watched both part one and part two. Uh, depending on what platform you are on, Peacock or Amazon Prime, I wish you the best of luck. Um, but we start off in a really fun setup. It, the setup for this pilot, I feel like, was a really interesting in that it seemed like every other crime-solving show. Right, You start off, oh, there's been a murder, it's super serious tone, here's this expert Adrian Monk, and then we get this peek into the idea of OCD in the life of Adrian when he asks about the stove, uh, and is it still on? And I know I've had that issue multiple times, and this show made me question if I have <laughs> terrible OCD, but... I want to hear from you guys. What were your initial thoughts of like watching Adrian Monk in action for the first time?
2: I love these opening shots because they frame the pilot up to be a star vehicle. You know that we're gonna be focusing in on one character and it's gonna be a character-driven mm-hmm. show. So I like totally. the way it's set up where like it's everybody watching Adrian Monk, and there's these log beats before we get any dialogue where it's just him in the room it's these pulses it's like taking in it, it's like letting it breathe and you know that we're going to be like all eyes on this one guy so it's a really effective just like first page even before we get into the dialogue
1: yeah absolutely and uh and I will say too uh Jeff you did fall into the uh the TikTok trap of uh oh I saw something someone talk about one somewhat relatable mental health trait, and now now I'm self diagnosing. So good job,
3: I'm doing oh, yeah. great. I'm doing... <laughs> I was saying, I also love the setup of like his is it his nurse that comes with him? Yeah, you Sharona, gotta love the sidekick. Yeah, you gotta love that setup of like him being the other, and like again, I love these in like a house in any of these shows where the main character is a bit eccentric. but is, is going to be phenomenally smarter than everybody else. And you're going to end up loving him no matter how flawed he is. I feel like in Dexter, we had that in Breaking Bad um, where these guys are like really flawed otherwise, but end up being like so good at what they do. And I think that sets it up right away.
0: Yeah. It's definitely very Sherlock Holmes-esque of like, you have Sharona as the Watson um, while we have this insane... um, you know i i always think about the benedict cumberbatch uh sherlock where it, it was very much not like a superhero but like this flawed man who has this one thing he's really really good at and it's fun to see the twist in this instance be i i don't want to say fun as an ocd is fun but the twist is he is has this disability that he is dealing with while still being one of the best in california at least or the santa clara san francisco area as a whole um but then we get uh, i see in our notes um we get the theme song that at least i'm super familiar with what did <laughs> everyone think of having randy newman at the top of an, of their show everything um. should have it yeah
1: it's it's hard it's hard to do any better than than randy newman and you had to have known i mean they had to have known like really early on how well this show was going to do and how how like quickly it was going to go into syndication by shelling out for a randy newman theme like i can't imagine he is cheap he is a like a folk music hero and i i mean this is just one of my favorite songs of his regardless
2: and I will just say for the for the folks at home, so if you're if you're watching Monk along with us, every single syndicated and later DVD streaming version uses Randy Newman. It's a jungle out there for its theme. However, this is actually not the original pilot or yeah. season one theme song. Uh, it was originally composed by the show's music director, Jeff Beal, and it's a jazz guitar composition played by a gentleman named Grant Geisman. Uh, however, starting with season two, they switched over to the Randy Newman tune, and it's become so synonymous with Monk that just from here on out, that's all you'll hear. Uh, so maybe Greg Geisman had a, a fun little jazz ditty. Uh, we'll never know. I don't know. So
0: <laughs> actually, fun fact, if you watched it on Amazon Prime like I did, you got the jazz guitar. instead. Oh, you got of, the
2: composition? Oh, I got cool. the I jazz
0: guitar. And I will say... I watched well, it on Prime. Yeah, I was very <laughs> disappointed not to hear Randy Newman's voice uh, singing, screaming at me. For 30 seconds. Peacock peacock
2: Hive, stand up.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But um, through this, I think one of the big themes of Monk that I find super interesting and like might have been an oddity in 2002 when it premiered was like the concept of therapy. Here in 2023, I think we're a lot more used to the idea of like seeing a therapist, even if you aren't uh, medically or prescribed one um to help with mental health but it was such an interesting session of him and dr kroger like going through the motions uh and like maybe i need a new therapist because i was like oh dr (laughs) kroger is getting to the issues right now
2: yeah tony soprano and adrian monk really doing more for men's mental health than like any of our actual families for decades and decades (laughs)
3: It's, it, it was a great, I thought that was also a great early scene because he had, he felt compelled to move the pillow. And I loved that yeah. the therapist was like, do you want to move the, I see you looking at the pillow. Do you want to move the pillow? And it just was such an amazing first connection between them. Um, and again, yeah, and like you guys said, I mean, obviously therapists are like a dime a dozen now in TV shows. <laughs> there was like TV shows about true. therapists. But I think back then it was definitely something we didn't see a lot of.
0: Yeah, especially men going in to see to see a mental health professional like that was very much not a thing.
3: And you mentioned
2: Sharona as sort of a um, like a Watson role. But I would argue like the therapist is, too. I feel like Monk is a Holmes with many Watsons in his corner. He has like a lot of people who are his various like consciences and helping him like work his way through cases in life so it's interesting to see just how he utilizes this network of people around him who clearly care about him so much
0: yeah absolutely rich any thoughts about the therapy scene
1: yeah i mean i think it's set up i mean it's set up such a good exposition of like okay it explains how long he's been doing this therapy this like necessary therapy for but also like I mean there's no way that wasn't a test, right? That was absolutely a test. You know you have someone who like that needs to overcome a solid his OCD. Question
0: because like I it thought about it for a, a second test. like of oh is Dr. Kro- Kroger really trying to like see if Adrian's set for being back on the force? Like that's such a fun thought like of yeah will they I, I will think they?
1: I mean, it really, it really puts uh, that doubt in your mind of like, okay, is this person actually ready to be in in the field detective? Because probably not. And the fact that he has to keep testing him like this after four years, even though you're seeing him in action. I mean, I uh, this therapist stays in the picture for this show for quite a while. I I didn't read ahead, but I have watched a lot of this series um and yeah that's just kind of like an ongoing battle you know he's gonna have to keep going to therapy to stay in the field anyways
0: but after this therapy session we get to go to what is the crime of the day what's the crime of the episode and in this case we it appears to be a political rally assassin assassination um of the saint claire warren saint Clair, who is running for mayor of san francisco and we get some small like pieces and ideas of uh what's the behind the campaign we meet his campaign manager gavin lloyd uh we see his wife played by gail o'grady who like if you see her. gail o'grady i don't know about y'all <laughs> but like instantly red herring i'm thinking oh she did it like I, I know she didn't have the gun. I see that it is a gentleman uh, who is shooting the gun, but I also know it's Gail O'Grady who absolutely hired the murderer. Uh, yeah. But go ahead. How go good was
3: that? I was just going to say, how good is that scene when he's like analyzing her? Again, it's it, goes, it takes me back to like that house character where like he's seeing things that no one else will. Also, Sherlock Holmes does the same thing. When he meets people, he can do a read on someone. And will write and yes. be like, "Oh, didn't you usually do this X, Y, and Z?" So obviously, um, your you know, marriage wasn't good, or something was wrong because yes. the bow tie wasn't done right. Like that was the best. If I wasn't thinking, she was not a good character. Like she was like the bad guy. After that, I was like, "Oh, she's the bad guy."
2: Just getting read <laughs> to filth by Adrian Monk. <laughs>
1: I know. <laughs> what a horrible start to your day. He barely had
3: his coffee. <laughs> but-
0: It's such an I really did like the idea of them setting the tone of the show of how serious it is by saying, like, hey, this is an attempted political assassination of the person who's opposing the mayor to be the mayor of San Francisco. And the mayor wants to now bring in the best detective. I don't give a shit if he's retired sort of thing. And we also get a little bit of a sneak peek of uh, Captain Stottlemyre um and how much he doesn't want to bring in monk as speaking a of
2: people who you see them and you're like that's the murderer we're talking about buffalo bill from silence of the lambs here <laughs> ted levine
1: <laughs> that's right and a true acting icon
0: yeah the first time i did watch the series i did not recognize ted levine uh as like buffalo bill i was just like oh this guy's great what else has he been And and then i had to google it and i was like oh completely different view uh, if I did not know that Buffalo Bill (spoiler alert) for a movie that's like almost 30 years old uh, dies at the end of *Silence of the Lambs*, then I would be like, "Oh, what a great story of Buffalo Bill turning into a police captain in San Francisco."
2: Oh, Je- Jeff, do you do you believe all movies and TV shows yep, are connected? Everything
0: <laughs> they're all everything real. Everything is real. It's
3: I, all I'm, connected.
0: Yeah, no, um, you know, Captain America is real. So is all of Star Wars. It's a galaxy far, far away. That's why we haven't seen it. Um, It's it's all good. Um, But we get an understanding of the seriousness of this case. And then we get to see Monk in action versus, like, the actual police force. And this was so cool, at least... I thought it was really interesting to see, like, you see Leland Stoudemire trying to survey the scene just as well as Monk is. And just the deficit and, like, the difference between the two of them is wild. Uh, And those things that you were were able to see, like, anything that you guys grabbed from this as a whole?
2: Uh, If we're just talking about, like, the whole investigation, when Monk is first being debriefed in the mayor's office about the assassination attempt... And he can't help but try and color coordinate all of the voter demographic pins on the corkboard before just spinning the entire thing. <laughs> I that I laughed so hard. I laughed so hard at this scene.
3: <laughs> Didn't he say like this took me years to put these all together? And she said, yeah, to yeah, which
2: is yeah, like it's years remember. of voter data. <laughs> yeah. Years.
0: Like, that was the part uh, they were like, yeah, I think he said, oh, it's been years to put this together. And it's like, how many years have you been working on this campaign for mayor? Usually, like, I don't know. I'm not a political manager, but I assume it's like maybe a year to get someone to. Yeah,
2: you just sign up to run for mayor, right? Yeah, no. Yeah, yeah. Everyone gets a
0: turn. Yeah, no, I can't wait for your turn, Rich. Yeah, there's there's towns (laughs) where dogs are (laughs) the mayor. It can't be that I'm going to make some
1: real changes in L.A. (laughs)
0: Oh, no. <laughs> uh, but we do get that sort of scene of like the idea of, um especially with Miranda St. Clair, like the disgust that they're bringing in an actual detective. Mm-hmm. Uh, like helping to feed the idea that she is probably the person that did it. Like the audience wants to think that she did it based off of her disgust for Adrian Monk and well, how she calls is. him Rain Man. Yeah, which was also yeah. just a wild uh quote to put out there in the entirety of the episode um but like going from there and after serving the crime scene like it was interesting how that first cold open is brought into light as like hey this was important this wasn't just some throwaway scene. it turns out at least in monk's eyes, these two murders while wildly different, probably are connected in some shape or form
3: i remembered him saying something interesting where he's like more focused that he had to solve that first murder and she's like no no no, you've been pulled into this and it made me think that maybe they're somehow co-connected like he was so focused on that first one and wasn't even she's like no this is like a big case like you're being pulled into this come on focus
2: if you're watching at home, it's really fun that the two clues that you're being fed as an audience member are Monk thinking the guy has to be at least six feet tall, six foot three, and the the smell of menthols, and Stottlemyer's line of, well, if the guy's tall, I'll have to call him the Golden State Warriors for questioning. <laughs> like and you get I... fed you get fed these little crumbs that like clearly Monk knows what he's doing, but you get to see like everyone around him. Doubting him so that you know Monk can prove you wrong By the end of the episode
0: Yeah it was just like Small details in writing To make it very much seem like I, I don't want to call it A fish out of water story Because it, it almost does have that feel right Of like everyone around me is crazy Or I'm the crazy one around A bunch of normal people And you can take whatever perspective you want As the audience Well if you um, paid
2: attention you'd be worried too Oh
1: my god <laughs>
0: God damn it, Max. I'm so upset with you. <laughs> um, there was you. one of the fun things I think about this show is like the small bits that they choose to make just comedic scenes in its entirety. We sort of mentioned the pin board, uh, but then we get the funeral scene. And what should be a very serious scene uh, Monk forgetting where his keys are and then putting them in the casket. Like, this was just letting Tony Shalhoub be Tony Shalhoub. He's in every such sense a of good word. physical, co- like comic actor. He's so good with his physicality.
1: And we'll talk a little bit more about like the the process of like finding Tony Shalhoub. no one found him for this role. He was already a pretty like well well established actor, but uh, finding him for this role of it was a, an extremely long process to find the right person to play Adrian Monk, and he just absolutely nails it with the physicality. He kind of he has like kind of like a he reminds me a bit of like Andy Kaufman in the way he like uh, just like maneuvers himself and and tries to to and finds a little bit of confusion in the scene, find some comedy in the scene, but also ultimately like doesn't make fun of his own condition. It is really just he is trying to push through it. And I think it's I think his portrayal is actually pretty respectful for people who do have OCD or any sort sort of like anxiety disorder like this. We've mentioned yeah, a agreed. few uh, other, like, crime
2: solvers already, but Monk gets to go just, like, full MacGyver in this scene with a paperclip and some dental floss to try and fish his keys out of a casket. This is probably the, like, hardest, just pure laugh-out-loud moment of the show for me.
0: I mean, the ending of his arm, the uh, dead bodyguard's arm going up and raising the hand at the end was oh, the just, salute. The salute was... Amazing, Like, I, I wasn't even expecting it, but I was so happy when it happened as a whole. Um, but from there, you know, I think that this show does do such a good job of showing that Monk can't really turn it off at all. Um, he is always going to be on no matter what. He's always going to be thinking about a case or... In some senses of the word, I would love for Monk and his therapist to talk about how selfish Monk can be at certain hmm. times. Um, because Sharona has this big date. Monk says, hey, it's Tuesday, it's chicken pot pie night, uh, hmm. which I would love every Tuesday to be chicken pot <laughs> pie night. That sounds lovely. Me too. I mean, what a treat. But- yeah, your,
1: your world doesn't have to melt down if it doesn't, but, uh, you know. We we would love some chicken pot pie on every
0: Tuesday. Yeah, I. <laughs> we're all going to Boston Market again. Chicken pot pie.
3: <laughs> Can I make you guys jealous? I'm getting cacho de pepe tonight.
0: No
1: oh. way! It's oh That man. exact
3: kind of night. Oh, it is telling. Monday. It is Monday. It is Monday. <laughs>
0: Monday's cacho de pepe night. night. <laughs> yeah. Some
2: some people would argue you go for a different pasta on Mondays. Uh, you know. <laughs>
0: What, a bucatini?
1: <laughs> uh, more of a layered pasta. Potentially one for a cartoon cat. Mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> An and arrabbiata? Oh my God. Um,
0: But I, I did love the scene of um, just sh- him interrupting Sharona's date and then in turn, Sharona thinks she's got this catch of a guy uh, who is uh, representing Francis Ford Coppola and like there are small things that I think the normal person wouldn't really recognize, just like, you know, BSing, but Monk catches it and immediately ruins this knight in shining armor for Sharona to the point where she just quits.
2: Well, you, you mentioned a minute ago, Jeff,
0: the idea that Adrian
2: can't turn it off, like even when he's in... You know, his public life his private life this is something that always haunts him he literally says at the funeral that he's in hell and i think this is an example of his intentions are so good he obviously cares so deeply about sharona he wants someone amazing for her but he also needs her and i think everything he does calling out this guy's bs and they're you know things that only Adrian Monk would catch uh mixing up libel and slander, him saying he went to a university that doesn't offer magna cum laude and also mispronouncing cum laude in this. <laughs> um you know to him that's helping. He's looking out for a person, but to most normal people, you're kind of ruined this romantic night and I understand Shiroda just being at like the end of her rope. It is interesting because it doesn't seem up to this point that we've seen examples of her being angry up to be at the end of her rope because she just said it's the best job she ever had she's so proud of him when we see her in the cold open of this but it does give you the impression that this has happened before
0: yeah absolutely i will give credit where credit is due uh i watched this pilot with my wife uh, Alex, and she called out the libel versus slander thing before adrian monk did hey. so i might be living with a future private consultant yeah uh,
1: someone paid attention at l201 good for her
0: yeah congratulations and for those who don't know what l201 is thanks don't for tell listening them. to the podcast we appreciate you <laughs> um but from there you know monk goes home he, feeling dejected he doesn't have his partner anymore and we get this flashback to you know the love of his life trudy uh who we learned was murdered and this is sort of what set off adrian to be the way he is this is my favorite scene
2: in the entire pilot parts one and two i i love the sequence this is the moment for me where we get that another level for the character Um, I think it's really beautifully done how we see revealed to be him falling asleep, working at his desk and seeing Trudy bathed in sunlight. And for a moment, Monk has peace. He sees the most important person in his entire world when he closes his eyes and falls asleep. He gets this perfect serene moment where he's not bothered by everything that affects him in his daily life. And then you just see him waking up having fallen asleep at the desk. Again, who knows how many this has happened. And he's back in that hell that he's mentioned. And I think this is a really powerful way to end part one of this episode. If it were, you know, done as one episode, it'd be a really powerful midway point. And I, I think we get so much about the character without adrian actually saying anything i i think it's just an incredibly well done sequence here yeah i
1: i absolutely like it, it hurts a lot seeing the grief that he goes through and understanding the extreme after effects of trudy's murder and some part of you really i mean you kind of don't know what you want for adrian monk like you don't know, you don't know if you want him to find solace in something else. You don't know if you want him to just, like, leave detective work entirely. Um, You know, that is an absurd amount of grief, and to be dealing with murder suspects, basically, as your day job, I mean, it's hard to not think about it constantly. He kind of, unfortunately, is stuck in the cycle of, okay, am I going to use this as motivation to solve these crimes, or am I going to, like, drive myself completely insane by obsessing over crimes the way I did my own wife's murder. And yeah, it's just a very, I mean, this is basically a movie like uh, parts one and two of this episode together are 79 minutes long. It really does feel like a, like almost like a feature length film.
0: Yeah, it does. I, I was mentioning, especially because Amazon prime combined it into one, they didn't Mm -hmm. even give you the option of saying part one versus part two. Um, I really had that thought of this feels like a, TV movie, right? If this was the only instance where we met Adrian Monk, I would be very much like, oh, cool, this is a really interesting arc for a character in a film. So, let's talk about part two. Um, Unfortunately, Sam got called in to solve another murder. But (laughs) your regular regular TV pilots are here to talk about Monk a little bit more. Uh, So, we go into part two Finding out a lot of stuff right away. Monk was right about the connections to the murders. They found out that this woman who was murdered in the first scene, Nicole, I think it was Lopez, Nicole uh, Vasquez. Vasquez, Vasquez, there yeah. he goes, uh, Nicole Vasquez, and the bodyguard were probably murdered by the same person. And there's also a, there was another murder that happened in the midst of part one, where it was a campaign staffer. Um, This was a terrifying scene. Let's just talk about this a little Mm. bit. Um, The idea that someone who is washing your window for a couple of bucks is actually out to murder you.
2: Yeah, it's a terrifying scene. And I think the way we get the connection is it's those tiny little details that only Monk catch something that all of us have hit on, Sam hit on. Because Monk knows that this campaign staffer in a brief interaction likes to store information and personal belongings under his Kangol hat. Uh, This is a 2002 pilot. Uh, It's very important that if a character is wearing a Kangol hat, that that you pay attention to what they're doing. They're going to be a big part of your episode. Um, But yeah, Monk notices that the guy keeps information there, and he keeps telling the police, like, look for the hat, look for the hat, look for the hat, and lo and behold, when they finally find it, everything Monk said is true, and there's a connection laid out in the lining of this guy's Kangol.
1: Yeah, and, you know... Carjacking is like an extremely common crime right now, um, especially in like Chicago and Atlanta and New York and a bunch of other places. Um, This is like an extremely terrifying and fearful act, uh, but it also, it it proves a very interesting point in that it says basically without a shadow of the doubt that the call is basically coming from within the campaign staff. There's, you know, what, what this does, even though it is like a gruesome and terrible crime, Uh, And also, okay, one little thing that I caught that was a little bit out of character for this and I didn't think was necessary for the show, like, it was a little unbelievable, um, the fact that they sent Stottlemyre out to basically just, like, average car accident seems a little under his pay grade. Like, there was kind of no reason for him to be there unless they already suspected that it might have been related to the murder and yeah so it was like okay so the the establishment of the police as a whole already knows that these are connected but you know he's trying to play it off like it's a regular car accident if it was a regular car accident he wouldn't be there sorry but yeah, yeah i mean it also just kind of proves um you know having monk be back in Stottlemyre's life is you can tell visibly angering to him um you know they've had they've had a past that has been like fairly tenuous and difficult but this definitely drives in like, you know, okay, this is why I was working with him in the first place. He's very observant. He's very good at this. We'll, I'll eventually let him do his thing, um, even though what the entirety of the rest of the show is going to be is him battling back and forth with monk even though they're trying to do the same thing
2: Stottlemeyer gets an amazing segue line here too when they realize they need to find adrian to help with the case he's like monk's out there alone and then it cuts away like that's such a
0: a fun segue moment to me and to in order to get monk really back on the case and back involved it was interesting that they used the, de- the whomever played the deputy mayor was in this pilot a lot more than I thought. They I just call him called. not Tony Hale. Yeah, <laughs> not not Tony Hale. I think not Tony oh, Hale wow. was in this a ton, and like that entire scene of almost beat. not not Tony Hale going to Sharona's house and begging for anything for Sharona to help Adrian Monk out was just like such an interesting choice that i think was made like we didn't need to see it but it allowed for the character to like Biddy shram to just shine um because she didn't really get many standalone scenes i feel like in the show other than being opposite tony shalhoub in many cases but from there after being convinced by the deputy mayor to help out and her getting did we ever find out what she got who knows uh but we see adrian at Trudy's grave, right? Uh, he is playing a reed clarinet. instrument. There we go. It is the clarinet, which I believe mm-hmm. is a reed instrument. It um, is. Shout I gonna say, I
2: believe it's a real instrument. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: no.
2: Look, there's
1: two facts of this show. Rich is 19 years old, and clarinets aren't real.
0: Uh, I thought Rich was 17. I keep on forgetting.
1: <laughs> no, you can't have a podcast below 18. That's illegal. Uh, oh, it's like smoking.
0: Um, but... With the sign of Sharona back on the case and their agreement to work together again, um, we start getting back to the just the investigation as a whole through a series of really fun one on one interviews. Um, where Monk confronts Gavin uh, about Nicole, Uh, he confronts Jake about the affair that monk at least believes he's having uh with mrs st clair claire and like both of these scenes just do such a good job of showing like the different sides of how great of an investigator monk truly is and how great of a questioner he is as well of like when to pull the strings of he knows the truth versus what the san francisco police don't really know as a whole yeah
1: it really scratches that itch that Sherlock gives you too of like the supernatural crime solver thing. It's just like, oh, he's extra smart and observant. So I'm gonna find out. And you're just like, okay, how did he read this scene? And you know, that just comes into play so much. And I I I don't know. It's it's such an endearing trait for both him and Sherlock. And I'm sure there's a ton of other examples of this. I just don't know them. Um, but yeah, what were you gonna say, Max? You also get a, a nice moment here where as an audience member, you're starting
2: to see multiple motives coming into light where you're, you're realizing that any of these fake Gavin Newsom's working in early 2000 San Francisco <laughs> politics could have a reason for carrying out murder. And it's exciting to see that this entire world has like a, a dark cloud over
0: it, which
2: the real world of politics
0: would never well this was 2002 right so no one could ever be have ill intent uh, in politics um i say that entirely joking knowing that the 90s were a complete dumpster fire um but after confronting the two of them they the police think that they have a lead based off of monks um details right we're looking for someone who's 6'3" or taller uh, who has purchased a very specific? I think it was a scope uh, for a rifle, and we get to meet our at least our first murder suspect, who rolls up uh, or is rolled out in a wheelchair, um, and this was just oh god! Yeah, like, he
1: just I, had that wheelchair, huh?
0: Yeah, I feel the the cringe I felt like with the idea that this guy had a wheelchair knowing someone was going to find him, but also like with the lines of, I used to be six foot five, like that, that just was like, oh, that was rough as a whole. And I felt the shame that monk probably felt firsthand uh, while watching this pilot.
2: I'm glad they give you that moment though, where there's that, that moment of doubt where you think that monk could be wrong, that there could be a mistake made here because obviously it gives you the redemption at the end, but the realization that Monk comes to from, you know, literally looking down at yeah. Leland Stoudemire's shoes is such a, it's a genius spark here. And again, it's those things that only Adrian Monk would notice that a man who spends his days entirely bound to a wheelchair would not have those same scuffs and creases and wear in his shoes that, you know, Captain Stodemeyer did.
0: Yeah, it was such a, and then we get a really fun chasing, right? Um, we see Adrian start to garner the courage to, you know, move away from being always followed by Sharona, like become almost that old detective that he once was. Of I am going to get the honor back of being this famous Adrian Monk. Yeah, this is the
2: moment that's going to get him back on the force.
0: Um, And then all to come to a close of, you know, fear and phobia taking over uh, as he's on a ladder up to the rooftop. And the murder suspect just basically walking by him uh, as he's frozen in fear in this Mm -hmm. moment of terrifying, like very sad defeat. Um and we see our hero fall uh, like all good heroes need to, at least. Yeah, in this they give stuff. you that real
2: all is lost moment here that I feel mm-hmm. like is important to any hero's journey.
0: So after this failure, right, we see Monk at his lowest. We, we start to get a really good understanding of like what Monk's tendencies are when he fails. And he seems to just revert back to Trudy as a mm-hmm. whole mm-hmm. or the small bits of Trudy. And we find him at the parking garage where his wife was murdered by a car bomb, which is horrifying. And you really get a better picture of why is monk the way that he is now from this once great detective. And it's really interesting to see how we see this light bulb moment go off and the audience like isn't told or fed what's happening. We just see the character have this gigantic realization and get really excited that they have solved the case uh, in a way that no one else has at this point in time.
2: Well, you get a really fun full circle moment where Sharona finally calls in her favor to Deputy Mayor Sheldon, played by not Tony Hale, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, because Monk's so excited about his realization, but flat out says it doesn't matter because no one's going to believe me. I solved the case. I know how this all went down, but what what good is it if no one's going to respect you or listen to you? And Sharona, for everything that went down in part one of this pilot, you know, believes in Adrian so much that she calls in this massive favor to set up what ends up beginning our climactic finale.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it's so interesting that, uh, you know, I mean, everyone is so desperate for Adrian Monk to be part of this, uh, to be part of this discovery, to be part of this investigation. Um, The fact that we almost are 100% certain that it's coming from within the staff at this point, and they're kind of not meeting a ton of resistance is is an interesting uh, one. But yeah, I mean, this really dictates that Sharona is going to be the deciding factor in whether or not Monk can actually, like, use his skills for good. And, you know, she doesn't stay in the series forever, but and, you know, that becomes a a giant plot point of its own. But, I mean, it really... Right now, Sharona... Up to this point is kind of like a okay, go do your thing, do your thing, do your thing. We're go- I'm going to keep pushing you, but this is Rich where is she just shows... trying to
2: turn this thing into monk cast. He's like, all right, we're going to break down <laughs> seasons four
1: and five next week.
0: <laughs> this um, is
1: why we wanted to start it.
0: But let's talk about the favor and what ended up happening. And it was a really fun scene of the reveal of the bad guy. Right, we are back in the financial district on a i think they were like hey the original campaign was midweek financial district during the middle of the day so we're back in the financial district midweek during the middle of the day Um, that podium is still just there yeah no i i think i like to think that that was potentially the favor (laughs) Uh, not the starter pistol being shot off it, out of a building in say, th- that which in the is SF yeah <laughs> the middle of san francisco if i had heard a gun go off i'm running as quickly as i possibly can yeah we'll, we'll
2: talk about this more but there's like no reaction from people in the city when this happens we'll get into that but very weird moment
0: <laughs> yeah and it's super interesting to see monk piece it all together and have everyone who could have possibly been responsible for this all in the same um on the same podium in the sense and we learned that Gavin or is it's Gavin right am it's, I nuts? it's Gavin yeah it's Gavin uh and Gavin has a series has um had a tendency uh in previous campaigns of taking some funds off the top Mm. and the murder victim from the first scene realized it and then called him out on it. And Gavin tried to have her uh, offed by a bodyguard. This, This was the part where I was just like, does Gavin not have any friends? Where his first thought is, you have a gun and you protect this guy. Can you go and murder this girl for me? Well,
2: Gavin's second person, he asks is a professional hitman. And I think if I know a professional hitman, (laughs) he's the first person I ask.
0: Then that's one less person he had to murder as a whole. But I I mean, I
2: get wanting to work, like, internally, you know, keeping the jobs internal, but, like, if you have a contact whose job is to kill people for money, that's the contact you should go to, not the guy who protects people from being killed for money.
1: Yeah, but, I don't know. That guy's probably super expensive. <laughs> he's trying yeah, to... Yeah, no, that's He's, that's he's probably skimming true. money. He's trying to, he's trying to he's, uh, save a little bit.
0: He's probably like, we already pay you for the campaign, and I don't <laughs> want to give you any of my money, so... Right. Uh, can you go and do this favor for me? But also it,
1: very much, like, really accelerating the level of crime that he's committing. Like, you get maybe a year, two years for misappropriating campaign funds. You get... An awful lot more for arranging someone's death, I would imagine.
2: Yeah, honestly, I think that Gavin Lloyd could have gotten away with, like, uh, embezzling campaign funds and just firing the staffer. And I don't think anyone would have ever dug any deeper because, as Gavin Lloyd has pointed out, he owns a paper shredder.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Whoa, big man. It wasn't a very good paper shredder, too. We can talk about that on my other podcast, Jeff Reviews Paper Shredders. Um, Wow. Wow. It's it's very exciting. We have at least one listener. Um, Yeah,
2: little kids are booming with, like, reviewing toys, and Jeff is reviewing office supplies to uh, (laughs) much, much more tame results.
0: It's a staple. My my, uh, podcast is called Office Deep Go. Uh, Oh, my God. (laughs) Um so during this reveal it's it's super I thought this was a lot of fun. Let's talk about the smoking gun. And by smoking gun I mean starting gun in the middle of the financial district being shot off. What was the thought process we think here of shooting off a gun in the middle of the day in a busy metropolitan area?
1: Look they filmed this in 2000-2001. The population of San Francisco back then was probably like three hundred people, so <laughs> everyone was totally fine with a gun going off in the middle of probably the most like busy business district in the in the city. How many people even live in SF now? Like I don't know, five hundred. You could just fire a gun; it will, people won't care. Do do starter pistols that they fire at like runs and races
2: and stuff have actual? Bullets or is like, no. it's, it's, like, it's it's like a cap? Yeah, I don't I even think it's like a
1: I don't even think it's a blank. blank because yeah, a blank I, I, still actually has something that yeah, comes I out. I think
0: it I think it is a cap and it has a different sound uh than a blank would. But like even with that being said, at like races, those guns are chained to a specific area so that they cannot be shot at a person or anything. And for the most part, they've gotten mm. rid of starter pistols because People oh. said, hey, they're, they are triggering to certain people who may or may not have PTSD if they randomly heard a gun go off. Uh, I remember when we used to be a real country.
2: Monk Monk gets what I'll call like the, the Columbo just one more thing moment here, though, where he gets to press Gavin <laughs> Lloyd on. There's no way he could have heard the that shot fired.
0: A, that was such a great scene of like watching Gavin just point at different places realize defeat and then his reward is he gets shot in the shoulder (laughs) by the uh kill guy who he did not pay with his excess funds from the campaign what a what a treat as a whole um but after getting shot and there being this realization that there is a gunman that is on the loose trying to kill at least one person who's on this podium we get to see Sharona start to go into action without being asked to do so to try and follow Ian Sykes. Um, And then we go into what I think is Adrian Monk's least favorite place in the world, which is the sewers of San Francisco. Um, What were our thoughts of this like cat and mouse chase scene as a whole round two?
2: Adrian climbing down a ladder into the sewer and covering each of the rungs with wet wipes is a hilarious visual.
1: It really gave me a nice nostalgic feeling back to the classic Harrison Ford movie, uh, where he also has to kill someone basically in a sewer pipe. Um, Max, I believe you know the name of that one.
2: Well, in The Fugitive, he's on the
1: <laughs> run from Tommy Lee Jones uh,
2: because he didn't kill his wife. And uh, you can catch me on Fugitive Cast, where I only talk about The Fugitive.
1: Uh, and you can scene, catch though, all of us on Tangent Cast.
2: This this uh, chase scene, though, is a really fun balance for what the tone of Monk is going to be overall, where it is high stakes thrills and like really good detective work. With these balanced in joke moments of you know, Monk pursues Sharona and Sykes into the sewer, but he has to use the wet wipes to get down. He gets the gun and he makes his way around the corridor, but not before adjusting a uh, a danger sign because it has to be straight. And then it comically falling into the sewer water. And they really do this one for one pretty good throughout the entire episode. But mm. at its like most climactic action sequence, they pepper in the jokes really nicely. And as a pilot, I think it's super effective for saying, like, this is what this show is going to be if you tune in for more.
0: Yeah, it, it's such a great... We know that this is a high-stakes scene, but we're not going to lose the character's North Star and what drives the character. And in this case, that is crippling OCD well, uh, It's, just, it's so
2: character-driven. Like, this entire thing is a character-driven plot. So, like, every moment you advance that plot you have to make sure we're advancing Adrian too.
0: I loved that we reached this, the ultimate climax of Adrian has to choose whether or not he shoots. And everything goes dark. And rather than seeing Ian Sykes get shot, we get Sharona yelling at Adrian as they move a sewer grate. (laughs) 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 And she's just like... And, and I think it's the most, it's the best representation of their relationship in every sense of the word. He saved her life. Um, he literally, he didn't, she didn't get grazed by the bullet. She didn't get hit by the bullet at all. She chose to run after this madman. And then yeah. she is just reaming him for shooting in pitch darkness. as a whole and it was just it was it it might have been my favorite scene in the episode as a whole
1: this is getting this is like giving a lot of big time my cousin vinny energy of just like the guy trying to do the right thing and actually doing something quite heroic but just absolutely not keeping sharona's like health in mind in any sense also we have no idea how like what monk's actual training as a cop is or like you know, firearms accuracy or anything like that—that that is not revealed even a little bit. And also fascinating that no one seems to be going to get the body at any point for the rest of the episode. There is no, there's no ambulances on the scene. I don't know, like where, where is this? No, the Sykes,
2: Sykes is being escorted into a, into yeah, a cop car by a deputies. With he has the bandage around his yeah.
0: head, so he definitely uh, got like grazed by a bullet, but not killed. Um, <laughs> and um, lightly tickled. Yeah, but let's talk a little bit about the ending of this episode, right? Because it was really, I thought, very thoughtfully done Um, in the sense that Monk is back in the limelight, right? He is this star detective. Uh, He's being thanked by uh, Mr. St. Clair. Uh, And Mr. St. Clair, you know, does what a lot of politicians would do in this sense, which is uh, finds an opportunity to find a good press moment. Uh, with Adrian Monk by his side. And we see Adrian in therapy, uh, very similar to how the episode started. Uh, and Dr. Kroger admitting, like, hey, you're getting close. Like, I will put in a good word for you. Yeah. Um, it was a very nice beat of, you know, you could see, I, I bet when they were filming this, they had all the confidence in the world that, hey, this is going to get picked up no matter what. But you could tell that they left that little bit of like, hey, here's a little bit of a nice wrapping, but we're not going to completely say he's back on the force. Mm -hmm. Um, But then we get Monk looking at going into an elevator. And by no means is he fixed. uh, But we get a beautiful shot of the San Francisco Bay Bridge. uh, And uh, Sharona and Monk walk off into the metaphorical sunset as he touches every single one of those uh, stone ledges. So um, I want to get
2: your opinion here. Cause I, I have a thought because Dr. Kroger basically tells monk, I'm going to recommend you back for the police. Uh, we can change up your therapy regiment." And then he plays it incredibly coy to Sharona. He really downplays that nothing of significance happened in therapy today. It went okay. And he goes off together to me, I was wondering if this, like, is significant to, like, how he needs that codependent relationship with Sharona. Because they mentioned that she's appointed to him as a medical mm-hmm. professional. That she's basically, like, a a care nurse of sorts. And I wondered if he, Monk felt like if he vocalized what Dr. Kruger told him that maybe, like he wouldn't have Sharona appointed to him anymore, or if he gets, like, fully reinstated into the Force, if it changes up his regiment, and, like, he needs that routine, he needs Sharona, so he's intentionally downplaying how well he's doing.
0: Yeah, it's a super interesting thought, because the the way that I took it was potentially the showing that, hey, I'm not fully okay based off of the elevator, Mm -hmm. um, as well as... Dr. Kroger saying I'll see you next week right after that um very much signaled of like this is not done uh yeah. and reinstatement might not mean full reinstatement it might just mean hey you're allowed to regularly do police work you're not allowed to potentially have a gun or you know be considered a member of the police force you can be a private consultant as a whole but that is such an interesting perspective of like hey, if I give up my, if I stop doing therapy, I might lose someone who's very special to me in the same place.
1: Yeah, I, I 100% agree. I, I think I think what it does is basically, it almost sets like like a light cliffhanger up of just a, yeah, we're obviously not done with the therapy. For me, I was actually thinking more of what Jeff was saying that like it was kind of indicating that he's definitely not done with therapy. But uh, understanding that he does need the stability that Sharona provides. And, you know, Sharona, despite kind of hating the relationship that he has done, or that she has with Monk, where it's like, yeah, really loving the work that he's doing. I'm glad that could be part of it. Like, we're saving people, we're helping people. Um, But also, she can, like, visibly see it's going to really cut into her personal life for as long as she allows it and yeah yeah, he really he really does make it look like yeah i'm back but i need that structure that structure is not going away
0: it also i think it did do something great which is like for those who have been in therapy not every therapy session is a breakthrough session right not every therapy session you come out being like holy shit like, It'd be really jarring if it was. Could you imagine that being, like, I'd be terrified of, if, like... If you
3: had, like,
1: that 51st Dates Disorder, then every oh. <laughs> therapy then every, <laughs> every session could be a breakthrough. But other than that... Oh, be... there's so,
0: so many videotapes. Um, <laughs> um, but... At the end, I thought it was really a nice way of being like, hey, nothing really happened. And like that's a realistic picture. Like, Not every therapy session will be the breakthrough. But sometimes therapy is just therapy. And it's that weekly, at least in our understanding of this episode, it's our weekly thing. Uh, If you watch the series, you know it becomes a everyday thing for Monk. Um, Mm -hmm. But that is our pilot. And that is Monk. Let's talk a little bit about things we loved. Um, what were some of the things that you loved about this pilot that maybe we didn't touch on?
2: I just love how, and I keep saying this, like, it's just so character-driven. Sometimes pilots can feel really piloty. They're trying to introduce you to a ton of given circumstances. They're trying to set up the entire world or do all the interconnections. And here it's just we are all in on Adrian Monk. This pilot lives and dies by this character and how much you want to root for them. And I think that Tony Shalhoub knocks it out of the park. Um, it also has maybe my favorite ending line to a cold open where one of the SFPD officers in the first apartment just goes, so that's the famous Adrian monk. And then we cut like <laughs> out of the cold open. I, I love that. I love that so, so much. Uh, it's it just, cheese. it's delightfully done for like creating this, this lead.
0: Rich, what yeah. about you?
1: Oh God. I love so much about this pilot and this show in general. Um, I know It's interesting that they made it this long, but I feel like it kind of had to be like they get into so much of the backstory. They do probably four or five episodes worth of exposition for this show in in this one, like essentially made for TV movie. Um, I mean, personally, I love the way it's shot and the the way it's shot and uh, like the actual visuals of the show are kind of a result of a low budget for this. And which is fascinating because like, you know, it it, from the very first scene, it looks like a John Hughes movie almost, Mm -hmm. or it looks like, you know, it kind of has that like feel of like office space or, um, you know, things of that range of, uh, of movie making. (laughs) But, uh, I mean, just the fact that it's shot on like 35 millimeter is so like, it's, it's like so charming and it really does make it feel like a whole movie. Like, you know, rest of the show aside, this is, like, a, an amazing way to start it off.
0: Yeah. I I love that we, when they created this show, they very much took, because, like, I'm trying to think of the different crime, like, TV shows that we're focusing on, like, solve that crime for the week sort of mm-hmm. thing, right? Um, ones that are coming to mind are things like Cold Case, Right. Or yep. uh, NYPD Blue, um, any procedural, law, law and Order, all these procedurals, and even though there's a comedy bit to this, right? We're not missing any of those things that we get from a lot of other procedurals. Uh, we get that we we get a car chase. We didn't even talk about the car chase. We got a car chase with the hilarity of you know. Monk trying to figure out how to avoid a car yeah. <laughs> in the alleys of San Francisco. Um, which was just like, that was a moment where we just let Tony Shalhoub be the comedy, like the physical comedy actor well, that and it's he that, can It's that be.
2: balance again. It's we have to do a car chase, but we also have to make sure that it's like, it's the Adrian Monk car chase. And it's, it's really fun watching these two parallels play out simultaneously. It's almost like there's like two columns in your writing it's like what are the police beats we have to hit and what are like the adrian monk bits that we have to hit
0: yeah and like the other thing that i just really loved was the writing for the show was just so well done of Mm -hmm. seeing the other actors It, it almost felt like um in some senses that the other actors were told like hey here's your scene these are your lines We're not telling you what Tony's going to do. And then Tony comes in and he's like, okay, I know my lines. Cool. I don't care what anyone else is doing in here. I'm going to be... I I called Adrian Monk selfish, but I'm going to become the selfish actor and truly just focus on my intentions on the scene. But it worked, right? It wasn't like, oh, he's grandstanding. The show is about Adrian Monk. It is like... Throughout the series, do we find out more about the surrounding characters? Sure, but we are here for one person and I just thought it was just so well done. I know we've talked about all things we've loved, but was there any wait a minute moments for you? Um, I do have a couple, but I would like to leave it to you two gentlemen to start.
1: Oh boy. Uh, Well, actually, I kind of went through a few, uh, I went through a few during the, uh, you know, breaking down a couple of the scenes, like obviously firing a gun in the middle of San Francisco is, is completely friggin' insane. Uh, the chief of police going to check out a basic car crash, also completely insane. But yeah, I mean, there's like a couple of things that are just like a little bit be- beyond the scale of believability, but I mean, for all intents and purposes, I love this pilot front to back.
2: Yeah, I mean, a, a lieutenant giving away his gun to a, to a decommissioned medical leave detective uh in the thick of a chase feels like it's probably not great police procedure uh but no i i don't i don't have a ton of crazy things uh personally
0: so i'd like to talk <laughs> yeah you were ready for this one Jeff. <laughs> i was ready um so i would like to thank adrian monk for preparing us all for uh covet uh based off of his that single scene where they were the um Wife of Warren uh, St. Clair was reading the book, and all of the children were coughing in that room. That oh. was absolutely terrifying. I have a list of Adrian Monk's fears uh, fear of germs, fear of needles, fear of dentists, fear of milk. Uh, we can talk about that because I think Adrian Monk may be Ashkenazi, like yeah. some of us on this podcast. And, hey, I have a fear of lactose as well. Uh, fear of death, fear of snakes, fear of lightning, fear of mushrooms, fear of heights, fear of crowds, fear of elevators.
2: Hey, he's now, working on the milk. He's now, working on one the milk.
0: of those fears was fear of germs. And we get two <laughs> scenes in which Adrian Monk is just very meticulously... Touching and counting things that have obviously been touched by a lot of people. Can someone please explain to me how the germophobia is not playing in play there, but is in play with almost everything else? Oh my god,
2: I listen know. listen, man, all the all the phobias and all of the the things he has to go through, they're they're all combatant against each other. And like he says, he he's in hell. Uh this isn't a, a good situation for him. Also though, because you mentioned preparing for COVID, did anybody see the Peacock short they made yeah. for Monk during COVID? They made like a like they did like a peacock variety show and they did a little like five minute thing called Mr. Monk Shelters in Place where they got like the main cast to appear on a Zoom call together. And like I, I, be- saw this. I
0: think it was like it was really well done because I believe they had him and he was like, "Oh yeah, I'm doing great. Like yeah. I'm thriving." <laughs> it was like the one time he was doing like somewhat normally. Uh, monk knew. Monk yeah, knew. monk Monk was prepared. Put it
1: on a T-shirt. Monk was right.
0: All right. Well, with that being said, we do have an in-flight question, and sure boy, did. is it a doozy. Uh, So for those of you that did not watch the pilot on Amazon Prime but watched it on Peacock you got a nice little taste of Randy Newman's theme song we're going to talk about that theme song in a little bit Uh, but our question is what's the least appropriate show that could have a Randy Newman theme song associated with it. Oh,
1: I'm so excited <laughs> for this. This is one of this is one of our favorite questions that we've ever gotten. <laughs> uh, can I go first? Because I have one ready to go. Right, oh yeah, go for it. Yeah, go for it. Okay. I want to see the Randy Newman theme song for Squid Game. Please. Please. <laughs> 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 People fouling everywhere. Win for that latitude greed.
0: <laughs> That's amazing. Uh,
2: I think the worst possible Randy Newman theme song show on air right now has to be The Handmaid's Tale. (laughs) (laughs) Um, no.
0: (laughs) So I'm going to say one that I think is really going to upset Max, and then I'm going to say one that I think would be fantastic. So Max... I know you love The Sopranos, but I want Randy Newman going over The Sopranos more than anything in the Welcome
1: world. This
2: okay, but the thing is Randy Newman and the lead singer of Alabama 3 like aren't that different vocally. It would not be that much of a departure.
0: <laughs> and then just for the, you know, rich the Gen Z like you. Um I <laughs> think you Euphoria generation. Euphoria needs Randy Newman uh wow. singing. Wow. because i That's think that so would good you know they grew up with like toy story being a mainstay and in their memories could you imagine seeing that gen z just sitting there watching euphoria watching zendaya the can who's got the cat <laughs> <laughs> <got the> <laughs> uh, but thank you so much for that question um if you have any questions for us we'll talk a little bit more about how to submit those later in the show so let's talk a little bit about the legacy of the show because i think it is just fascinating so to date uh episode 23 of the tv pilot's license is about the pilot that is the longest technically because this one was 79 minutes long Um, i wish us luck in finding something a little bit longer other fun fact the first episode and the last episode of monk both take place during christmas uh which i found delightful as a fun little fact but there are eight seasons and 125 episodes of monk uh and it was entirely on the usa network um as far as finding the most popular season there's some debate right it's usa network we're talking about cable television. We're not seeing mm-hmm. nearly as high numbers. But season three and four both had some really great numbers associated with them. Um, coin flip. if you're a big Monk fan, let me know which one you thought was the better season yeah. as far as a ratings perspective. Um, but <laughs> this show did reach syndication. And there was also a Turkish version of the show that was made uh, as well. I want what? to watch it. Uh, yeah. There was supposed to be a TV movie, but that got rejected due to budgetary concerns, which is hysterical because let's just say the TV movie of Monk is the pilot episode of Monk. Big time. Yeah. So let's talk about something else that was made that has to do with Monk, and that is the book series. There are 19 different novels about Adrian Monk that were made by Lee Goldberg who was a series regular writer on the show. Um, And they're all about different cases that were never shown on the show, but all very well-selling because he made 19 of them. Like, you don't just run into accidentally making 19 different books. Um,
2: Can we do a book club, please? Yeah,
0: (laughs) just a TV book club. My book club, Uh, baby. So let's end with just how wild this show did from a awards perspective this show was nominated for 40 different awards it won 14 of them um three of those wins were tony Shaloub winning emmys for best lead actor in a comedy series utter domination by tony Shaloub. two of the emmys or actually excuse me one of them was also a Golden Globe win for Best Leading Actor in a Comedy Series. He won two SAG Awards also. So if you're doing math at home, that's six of 14. Uh, there were also two different awards for main title theme music.
3: In yeah. back-to-back
0: years, Jeff Beale won uh the for season one and then randy newman won for season two can you imagine how pissed off jeff beals is that he wrote an award-winning song and then usa network was like we got randy change the song
2: And also, like, because Randy Newman's all the syndication stuff, so all the stuff that's showed after is Randy Newman yeah, getting Yeah, exactly, residuals. so he gets
0: no residuals other than maybe the Amazon Prime stuff. It's
2: also just insane to be talking about Tony Shalhoub's wins with Primetime Emmys, Golden Globes, SAG, like I know we're like, this is still, like, uh, very much HBO domination before, like, the big, big peak TV and before AMC really got into the picture, but it's wild to think of a a USA show having this kind of chokehold over like a major, major category like best actor in a comedy series, like nowadays. Yeah. yeah and I've, then I've, I've, oh go ahead and I think it was
1: actually kind of um inspiring to up-and-coming networks like amc to really take that chance and push the limit of like okay we're going to develop some like really big time shows now
2: a hundred a hundred percent because if you see you know abc and touchdown passing off something to usa and then it becoming uh like this powerhouse and it awards Mm -hmm. contender you're probably thinking well like i could do the same thing in-house with the right script and the right team around it so i i think uh Monk might be the most important show we've done, guys.
0: (laughs) All right, so do you guys want to hear... I've been telling you since day one. I want to hear something a little bit crazy about Monk (laughs) and its wins. So (laughs) Monk, I I talked about six of the awards that happened for Monk. Um, There are only four people that are responsible, or five people that are responsible for award wins that have to do with the show Monk. We got Tony Shalhoub. Mm-hmm. We got Jeff Beal. Randy Newman won three awards because of the show. He not only won what? for Best Main Title, he won for Outstanding Original Music and Lyrics for the finale of the show when he wrote When I'm Gone, which is actually a really great song if you have mm. never heard it. he also, Randy Newman also won a third award from the ASCAP uh, for Top TV Series. Oh, nice uh, so yeah, you know, <laughs> I, sure, that's how it's pronounced. Um, I want to see a
2: situation where Monk wins a Kid's Choice Award and they have to slime Adrian Monk, like not even Tony Shalhoub. I want to see Adrian Monk get slimed. <laughs>
0: um, trailer Howard, uh, who was on the show later as Monk's second nurse or assistant, mm-hmm. won for a Gracie Allen Award. But then there were also two other Tony Award winners associated with this show. Uh, or excuse me, there was one. And that was Stanley Tucci won an award for Outstanding Guest Actor on the show, show as well yeah, as baby. John Terturo, who plays Adrian Monk's brother in the series. Mm-hmm. And if you are just trying to find that random episode to watch, anyone that he is on is a delight. Uh, and that is all I will say about that. But to say that Tony Shalhoub carried... The award wins for this show, along with Randy Newman just yeah. coming in from the rear and being like, I'll take a few awards as well, would be a very true statement. Um, But that is it as far as legacy goes. As we mentioned, there was a COVID uh, special that was five minutes that was delightful. And if you are a big monkhead, go and watch it. Uh, but let's... Monk no. fans only on this pod. Yeah, if no.
1: If you ain't down with Monk, unsubscribe right now.
0: Can we call Monk fans Monkfish? Like, I just want them <laughs> to be Monkfish so badly. Why not monkeys? Yeah. Oh, uh, let's uh, let's put a cap on know. that one. Um, <laughs> so, with that being said about the legacy, it is time for Rich's Game of the Week. Ah! All right. Uh,
1: <laughs> What, what's a what's what's a good uh, what's a good OCD bunk related uh, song for this? It's probably can't touch this. All right, uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right. We're playing the classic game Two Truths and a Lie. Um, so I'm going to give you guys three uh, potential facts about the one of the uh, or actually the creator of the show uh, Andrew Beck- Breckman, who we discussed at length at the beginning. Um, and I would like you guys to uh, to pinpoint which one is the lie. All right. Uh, he uh, upon winning the first Emmy for Monk, uh, Breckman responded by writing an episode where monk has to solve a murder at the Emmys. Uh, fact number two. Uh, Andrew Breckman actually named a murder victim in a later episode after his wife. What a what a touching <laughs> tribute. Number three. Andrew Beckman had very noticeable beef with American Pie writer and singer Don McLean. Which of these three is a lie? I'm I'm gonna
2: say that it's the the first one, the Emmys plot. I I know the Stanley Tucci episode has to do with a method actor like watching Monk, and I feel like that's too similar a plot point. Oh God! I'm a Monkhead. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay so i know that i could very easily see so there was i i have watched monk as well um and there is an episode where willie nelson is in it and i could very easily see that third one there being like a joke specifically about american pie being in it um i am going to say that this just for difference of opinion let's go with that second episode uh, or that second uh truth or lie that uh Rich you said
1: well uh Jeff that was very generous of you because Max was absolutely right uh, <laughs> he, did not, <laughs> he did not solve a murder at the Emmys uh he did uh Andrew Ross Beckman indeed named a murder victim in the show after his wife houseweede uh and then he also as a comedy folk musician somehow got involved uh, with don McLean, and they had a full out either fight or just like really hated each other and what
0: a hilarious person to have beef with That's but thank amazing. you guys for
1: playing rich's game of the week
0: oh, well thank you rich for that game of the week <laughs> um well we're coming close to landing and i'd love to hear from you two gentlemen would you continue watching this show and do you think it could be made today
1: Hell
2: yeah! Bring i would continue Watching, uh, I feel like Monk. I when I flip around late at night, Monk's on like three or four different channels at any given time. I feel so the odds <laughs> of me watching it are good. Um, I slammed the next episode button, watching on Peacock to watch part two. Like even knowing I had to for this recording, like I was all in on it right away. And I had a, I had a tricky time figuring out the show could be made today because part of me was like, would there be? for lack of a better word a discourse around the ocd detective uh, how do we feel about that in the mainstream yeah. thing and then i thought two things one the show is really sensitive with like how he's affected by it and how it stems from his anxiety and his wife's murder and i think they do a good job of like balancing uh the humor of it with like the real heart and what he deals with and secondly ABC has a new show out right now called Will Trent, which is also a detective show. But in Will Trent, uh, his thing is that he's super keen, observant, and the best detective on the force because he's dyslexic. And that makes him really good at observing things in ways that people wouldn't. Uh, So I don't know. Fuck Will Trent, Adrian Monk forever. Let's reboot Monk.
0: (laughs) Rich, Uh, what about you?
1: i also can't agree more i also was wondering how modern audiences would take the because i i feel like we didn't get a ton of neurodivergence in media period um at this particular point at like in 2001 i feel like it's actually still kind of like relatively new the there's a couple characters on tv in future years uh i mean uh I forgot his name. Uh Benedict Cumberbatch's Sherlock definitely have make they make allusions to him being on the spectrum. Or Freddie having... Highmore
2: is Dr. Sean Murphy and the good doctor comes to mind. I was
1: about Absolutely. to say. Um Jim Parsons character in um Oh
0: my god, wow, why am I Big Bang Theory?
1: Uh yeah, Jim Parsons character in Big Bang Theory. It's also... a little known show. It's okay. Yeah, no, yeah, it's, yeah, it's
0: okay. It only had a few episodes.
1: Yeah, that's right. well <laughs> Uh, we'll we'll tackle it eventually, maybe. Um, yeah, his character Sheldon also did exhibit some signs of like neurodivergence, or like they did make hints to that in the show and everything. And you know, I think it is necessary for people to have that in for for society in general to have that explained in a way where it's not like a superhuman thing. Um, in in media, I think that's super important. I think they would probably, I I think they could absolutely have Adrian Monk's battle with OCD be part of a show that is made right now because they are very gentle with it because they don't make fun of it too much. Like, you know, the most they show is that like kind of frustrating the people around him. Um, But I I think they do a good job of not being like, we're not going to make fun of it. We're not going to say he's only good at his job because of this, because he was a detective before all this happened anyways. You know, it is, like, I, I think they did a good job of, like, not making this a superpower kind of thing, which is super important.
0: Yeah, and Maxi mentioned it, um, but The Good Doctor has been out for, I think it's six seasons. They just on, hit 100 episodes. Yeah, on ABC, which is wild. Um, also, a pretty good show. We'll probably watch it whenever that ends. Who knows? Um, but... I think that we are now, we're in a society, ma'am, And when I say we're in a society, I mean that we as a society have, I think, grown up a little bit as far as dealing with the concept or the ostracization of folks who may be slightly different or neurodivergent. So I think we're more than... Capable and really willing to have shows that center around characters that are neurodivergent, like an Adrian Monk. Um, Rich, I think you said it perfectly. Focusing on making sure that your difference is not a superpower mm-hmm. is really, really important. Uh, yeah. Because if you even toe that line slightly poorly, yeah. you're in for some trouble. Um, but I will say, if you were ever thinking about redoing this show, God bless you finding someone who could do what the work that Tony Shalhoub did. Oh, dude. Because yeah. you're, I could not think of a single actor right now who is doing nearly as good of a job of playing that role in a respectful way while also knowing when and where you can get the laughs. As far as watching the show... This is one of those good old, if it is on, I am watching, right? If there is nothing on, I will put on an episode of Monk. Or if I'm at my in-law's house, this is definitely a crowd pleaser, right? Of everybody wants to watch Adrian Monk solve Everybody the mystery. loves
2: Monk. I don't know anyone who doesn't love Monk. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: A, they do a really good job of making this episodic
1: too. It is, like, it is almost like made for syndication at a certain point. It is very much like, yeah, it's crime just... of the week. There is there is character development, there are character changes, cast changes, stuff like that, sure. But still like it is it is very much like you can still go into a, any episode of Monk and not need a lot of context for what comes before it.
0: Yeah, all my Monk heads, my Monk fish, down <laughs> in the comments, tell me why you love Monk. And if you don't love Monk, tell me in the comments below why you don't like Monk. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, leave
1: us a comment. You leave
0: us a comment and give us a thumbs up uh, because we just talked about something <laughs> that you hate. Uh, so with that being said, uh, as the plane comes to a land,
3: where can we find you